This morning, I am um, continuing um, a series of messages on angelic host, talking about the angels of heaven. The Bible speaks of angels in the New American Standard Bible. Angels are mentioned 196 times, 196 times, 103 times in the Old Testament, 93 times in the New Testament. And uh, these celestial beings uh, referred to so many times, I believe it's important for us to understand. The Bible is a very legal binding document. Would you agree with me? The Bible is truth. In a shifting uh, generation that doesn't know what truth is, the Word of God stands as truth. And uh, so when the Word of God mentions something once, it's, it has tremendous value. But when it's mentioned 196 times, I think somebody's trying to get our attention. And so we're to recognize what God does through the ministry of angelic hosts, the celestial beings, those who um, have greater intelligence and greater strength than human beings. God has created this realm of personal beings that we call angels. God created them. He created every one of them. Angels have not always existed. Uh, angels were created by God. As I mentioned last uh, time we gathered, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the divine trinity, the Godhead, has always existed. So a pastor who created God, no one created God, he's always ex existed. He, he has always been. And in the beginning, there was God. God created it all. So he's created a, an earthly family, you and I, but he's also created a heavenly family. And these are an, angel hosts, uh, the council of heaven, uh, there are many, many names that they're called by. We'll talk about some of them in just a moment. But we need to understand what they do, and uh, we need to understand, number one, that we are not to uh, worship angels. We are not to pray to angels. We're not to give angels uh, some high uh, esteem. We're not to try to talk to angels. That's not their purpose. We, we speak to God the Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer life, okay? Then God, as he sees fit, dispatches angels or, or changes the hearts of men. Uh, Proverbs 21 and 1 declares that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he, he, he changes it. He moves it with us however, like a river. He moves the heart of the king. So in other words, those in authority over you, whether they're your employer, whether they are your husband, whether they are uh, uh, your, 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 someone else that's in, in authority over you, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. I want you to realize that. And God can change that heart. Now, he changes it as you do a river. You change a river with time and with pressure. Time and pressure. Uh, many years ago, a friend of mine was telling me about uh, an oil lease that he had on, on the Canadian River. He said that river's always shifting and always changing with time and lots of floods and so forth. It'll dry up for a spell, and then it'll flood for a spell. And he said, what we've had to do on our lease is we've had to take these these posts, these uh, telephone posts, and, and, and we've had to, to drill them, drive the, these piles into the, into the ground at the edge of our property to make sure that the river doesn't encroach on our land, to make sure our land doesn't, doesn't erode into the river. And so they actually have changed the course of the river, but it's taken time and it's taken pressure. Well, the good news is God can change the heart of those in authority over you. God can change an individual's heart and give you favor with government. He can give you favor with your employer. He can give you favor wherever you need it because he's a wonderful God. Can you say amen? So God, when we pray in Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit to our Heavenly Father, 
God answers prayer. Now, he may not always answer the way we want the prayer to be answered. Has anyone been praying for a while? And you know what I'm talking about. I don't always get the prayers answered the way I think they should be answered. In fact, if I were God, I would do things totally different than they're being done today. You better be glad that I'm not God. And I'm glad that you're not God. <laughs> How many of you discovered you're not God, right? Two things I discovered long ago when I was just a pup. Number one, there is a God. Number two, I'm not him. <clears throat> I am not God. But he is God. And he answers in the way that he sees fit, according to his will, according to his purpose. What's going to carry out the divine uh, purposes of God for my life? And it, how, do, how do I work into that? See, my friend, listen, the universe does not revolve around you and around me. When I read the Bible, I don't see myself in all the Bible stories. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about his purpose. Now, I have a role to play. I have a part to fit into the kingdom of God. But I, I, I'm not, it's not all about me. It's about his plan and his purpose. So I pray in the name of Jesus and God hears my prayers and he answers my prayers in the ways that he sees fit in his own timing. But the beautiful thing is he does use angels and he, he dispatches angels and he sends angels uh, to do his bidding because they have been created to serve God and to worship God. Mankind was created to serve God and to worship the angels of heaven which were created a bit higher than us with more intelligence and more strength and more power and more abilities than we, they have been created by God to serve God and to worship God. So we don't worship angels. They're not on the same um, level as the Holy Spirit. They're, named, they're not the same as the Father or the Son. They're created beings. God created them for a specific purpose. We read through the scriptures that the, the angels are innumerable. The, now, God knows exactly how many he's created. He's numbered them all. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He's numbered the stars in the sky. He knows the number of the sands of the seashore. He's not constantly learning. God already knows it. His wisdom says that he knows these things. He's created these things. He's placed these things in the universe. And so God knows all about it. Last Sunday, I believe it was, or last Wednesday, one or the other, we talked about uh, the, the, the incredible universe that God has created that we know about. And, and we know that in our, uh, in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are some 100 billion stars. That's the estimate. I don't think anybody's counted each of them, but that's the estimate. There are 100 billion stars. Each of those stars has its own planets orbiting around the star, as does our sun. Our sun is not the only star in the sky. It's not the biggest star in the sky. It's one of 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And then, get this, now that we've launched the Hubble Telescope, 1994, and it's, it's orbiting in, in space some 360 miles above the Earth, it has now beamed information to us as it, as it views and watches and looks, and the technology and sophistication has helped us to understand that there are now an estimated 200 billion galaxies like the Milky Way. Oh my. So 100 billion stars times 200 billion galaxies. What is, what's up, what's going on out there? I'll tell you what, God has created this vast universe and the beauty of it, he knows every star. He calls the stars by name. He's numbered them and he knows all about your life. He knows every issue of your life. He cares for you. He has empathy for you. He has, he has compassion toward you. When you hurt, he's concerned. When you cry, he's concerned. Let me tell you what, he's a God of love. He's a God of justice. He's a God of incredible beauty. He's a God of creation, but he's also a God of love. Can you say amen? So God hears us when we pray, and he answers in a way that is pleasing to him, in a way that is according to his purpose and according to his plan. It's not always going to work out the way I want it to work out. It's not always about my 
pleasure and my joy and my happiness. Listen, Jesus did not die on the cross so that I could have a big, nice car and a big, nice home and live a life of, of ease the rest of my life. No, no, no. We've got to understand. We've been, we've been taught a lie. We've listened to a whole lot of stuff that is not the real gospel. It's not the true gospel. And we need to, we need to shed, shed that stuff and, and say, God, what do you want me to do? What are your purposes? What is your goal? Where do I fit into your plan? I didn't plan on preaching this, but it's sounding pretty good to me. All right. So, so God has created then this, this realm of personal beings. We can't see them with our natural eye. Um, there are a lot of things we can't see. Our eyes are limited. I can't see uh, how, how these radio waves or whatever they're, they're called are being transmitted from this pack back there to the soundboard. They're invisible. See, I'm just, I'm waving my hand through them and nothing's happening. You can't see them. And yet from the soundboard, they're being projected to those speakers up there and you're able to hear me louder than if I were to turn the microphone off. That, that, that's, you can't, I can't see that. I can't see the, the electricity flowing through the copper wiring in this building. I can't see a, new, a, a little atom uh, that is the very basis of all creation and, and, and it's the building block of creation. Some things are outside the scope of my vision, but that does not mean they don't exist. And just because I can't see angels doesn't mean angels aren't out there. Doesn't mean angels aren't with me. Doesn't mean they're walking beside me. Doesn't mean they're not protecting me. Doesn't mean they're not doing battle for me as I'm praying in the name of Jesus. Angels are, are, are doing warfare on my behalf and they're helping me to destroy the works of the enemy in these last days. Angels are created by God. And, and the knowledge of this broadens our understanding of God. It, it broadens how, how he works or how we at least understand how he works in the universe. You know, I told you that, uh, that the Bible does not center around me and, and, and the universe does not center around me and you. And we really shouldn't even think of mankind as being the highest form of created being. You see, as the distance between me and my, oh, let's take, let's take my dog. I don't own a dog currently, but I've owned dogs in the past. I, I've had hunting dogs and yard dogs and house dogs and all kinds of dogs. How I many of you got a dog out there? Somebody's got a dog. Any cat lovers? How many cat lovers out there? A few cat lovers. You're wonderful people. I don't understand you, but you are cat lovers. <laughs> I was a cat lover for about a year. Michael and Amber, their family moved up here from Texas and lived with us. And they brought, uh, um, what were their names again? Rainbow and Twilight. And so I lived with two cats in the house for a year. They've now moved out with Amber and Michael to their own house that they're buying. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But, but, but here's my point. Mankind, the species that God's created with, with his own hands from the dust of the ground, breathe the breath of life into him, and he has now the spirit of God within. That's the human spirit. It's the breath of God. We are such a higher form of life than the dogs, the cats, the dolphins, the whales, the, the, the little turtles on the seashore, the little eagles that we, you know, all the things that we, we want to save them and we want to, we don't want them to die, and it's a good thing that we save them. It's a good thing that you're con you want to conserve that. But, but let me tell you something. We have absolutely neglected the, the sanctity of human life in our culture for the sake of animal life. 
And it's just typical of the age. It's just typical of the fact that we worship the creation now more than we worship the creator. And, 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 but, but, but mankind is so much higher than the lower forms of life. And they're filled with, with varying, de, varying de degrees and grades. And so it is possible between man and God that there exist creatures of higher than human intelligence and human power, you see. So just as there are those lower than us, trust me when I say there are those higher than us, between us and, and the Godhead, and they are those I'm speaking of this morning in this, in this series about angel hosts, angelic beings. This is exactly what the Bible teaches. As I mentioned, 196 references to angels uh, in, in the Bible, 103 times in the Old, 93 times in the New Testament. And it's, it's sad not to, not to believe in an order of spiritual beings simply because they are beyond our touch or they are beyond our sight. It, it's, it's sad to say, well, I can't see them. If I can't see them, I don't believe they exist. Never have seen one. You ever seen one? You ever, had, you ever held one? How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you ever heard that one? I have. So, so there's a study then of angels. It's called the Doctrine of Angelology. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that a little bit this morning. Now, the doctrine of angels holds an important place in the Word of God. Uh, yet it's viewed as a very difficult subject because of the lack of description that we find with other biblical subjects. For instance, every reference to angels is incidental to some other topic. They're not treated in themselves. God doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to take this chapter of a book and I'm going to tell you all you need to know about angels. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. God's revelation never aims at informing us about the nature of angels. And so when they're mentioned, it's always in order to inform us further about God, about what he does, about how he does it. So since details about angels are not significant for that purpose, they tend to be omitted. While many details about angels are omitted, it's important to keep in mind uh, these important elements about biblical revelation. Let me give you three of them that God has given to us about angels. All right? <clears throat> about angels. Number one is what you're looking at on your screen, the mention of angels in the Scripture, in the Bible. New American Standard Translation. 196 times in the old, excuse me, in the total Bible, Old and New Testament. Number two, the second revelation we need to, to, to know is that while there are many references scattered throughout the Bible, they're found in at least 34 books of the Bible, okay? Take your notes, your pen or your pencil or, or something or your, your tablet and, and just type in 34 books of the Bible contain references to angels, 34. Whether it's Job or Genesis, the, early, the earliest books, we don't know exactly which is, which is the earliest, but yet Job is full of angelic references, and Genesis is, is full of angelic references. The earliest books that we have record of, all the way through to the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. Revelation is full of references to angels, heavenly messengers, heavenly warriors. We only know of about three angels that have been named. We don't know any other than those three names. One is Lucifer, who was an anointed cherub, the Bible says, and he evidently was one of, um, one of the archangels. He had, he had a, a, a position that was higher 
than other angels. Evidently, there are, there are stations of rank within the angel armies and the angel hosts. So Lucifer was an anointed cherub. Michael is the uh, warring archangel. And Gabriel, we know of as the um, annunciation angel, or the angel who brings messages. He, for instance, brought the message of the Christ child to the, to the shepherds and so on, so on and so forth. And so we have those three names, Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel, um, mentioned in the Bible, but we don't have any other angelic names mentioned. We do know that when angels appear, um, they typically, I, I think every time, if I'm not mistaken, appear to be male in species, in, uh, in gender, but yet they don't have uh, gender. They, they appear to be male, but yet from the words of our Lord Jesus in uh, heaven, the angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there's no uh, procreation abilities for angels uh, in, in the, the, the form that God created them. He created us with a physical body. Now, the purpose for that, let me just explain quickly. Um, God has created every angel that's ever been created. Angels don't produce after their own kind. They don't re reproduce and recreate. Uh, God's created them, all right? However, with the human species, this is all basic biology. Every one of us understand what I'm pointing out here. But God created Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So part of what they were to do was to procreate. So he created within humans the ability to procreate. As he did all of, his, all of the species on earth, every species has the ability to produce after its own kind. That's why apple trees don't produce bananas. That's why dogs don't produce cats. They, you produce after your own kind. And so humans then have produced after their own kind ever since. And so, and so while angels are referred to as being male, whenever they appear to someone, they look like a male to that person, yet they are uh, evidently without um, gender uh, and, and the ability to reproduce uh, in the heavenly form that God's created them. There's really no need for reproduction, okay? That's the way I understand it. If God's created you and you don't need to create others, then there you go. Now, a couple of weeks ago, as I began this series, you heard me talking about um, the, the fall of Lucifer. It's, it's found in Isaiah. It's found in Ezekiel. Um, we won't go there for sake of time, but in Revelation 12, we read that the dragon, who would be Satan, uh, he fell from heaven after warfare, and his tail dragged, the tail of the dragon uh, pulled a third of the stars from heaven, okay, in Revelation 12. Now, those three passages, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 14, it's Ezekiel 28, uh, and then Revelation 12. In those three references, we see that Lucifer then was cast down from heaven, and he was cast down to the earth where he has become the God of this world, little g, the God of this world. According to Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians, he is the God of this world. Uh, not the planet. The planet belongs to the Lord. Okay? The earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24, and the fullness thereof. God owns the planet. But he's given, he's given rulership of the, um, of the social order to, to uh, Satan, and, uh, who was Lucifer at the time. And so he, he, was, uh, he was among God and the angels and the heavenly host and the uh, heavenly council, the divine council of God, he was with them in, in, the, um, in the garden. He was with them in the, where the mount of God was in the garden, and the garden was Eden, 
and that was evidently uh, God's place where he met with uh, his, his heavenly counsel, his divine counsel. Then when he created man, he created man and placed him in this garden. God's purpose was that mankind would have fellowship not only with himself, with God himself, but also with all the other angel creatures, all the other divine beings that God had created. And when he said, let us make man in our own image, that was more, more of a reference, more so than just Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us, that plural pronoun, is more than just the, 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 the Trinity creating it was let us to the divine council, all the angels who were with him at that time, we are now going to create man. Let us make man in our own image. He wasn't asking permission. He wasn't actually telling the angel host, you guys are to be involved. You're to, you're to do the work. Uh, may I? Would it be okay if I created? No, no, no. God doesn't have to ask permission, but somehow he enjoys the council. He, he, he uh, relishes the fact that he has all of these angels and has these archangels and these spirits of fire we read about in the book of Revelation around, his, around the throne of God. And so God has, has chosen then, I'm going to create a man. I'm going to create another species and I'm going to place them in this garden. So he places them in the Eden. And it was there that Lucifer was, was banished to. And so, so he was in that, in that place and and from that place, in his rebellion, when he saw that God had created man, and he saw that, that God was going to have fellowship with man, and that man was perfect in his body, he was perfect in his mind, he was perfect in his spirit, everything about mind, mankind was perfect. It was created in the image of God Almighty. And when, when Satan saw that, this envy, this jealousy, this anger, this rebellion rose up inside of him, and within himself he determined he was going to destroy the apex of God's creation. Yeah, God loves the animals, and yes, God loves the, 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 the floral and the fauna, and God loves everything about his creation, but I want you to know he holds mankind in the highest love and respect and honor of all of his creation. So Satan saw, saw he was going to go to destroy mankind, and that's why he set his sights on Adam and he set his sights on Eve, and you know the rest of the story. All right, he tempted them, they fell, sin entered into the world, and um, into the cosmos, into the world's order, the social order. It entered into the planet itself. This is why, uh, this is why the planet will have to be uh, recreated in, in the days, in the future times. God will recreate. And guess what? He's going to restore paradise as he originally intended paradise to be. And so Eden will once again be restored. I believe, I believe that Eden, Eden has never been destroyed. I believe Eden... The garden, that place is, is beyond the veil. I know I'm getting pretty, pretty far out there, but I believe it's in another dimension that you and I cannot enter. I'm told now that we're beginning to discover there may be as many as 10 or 12 dimensions around us. Uh, we, we have three dimensions, and then, then they discover a fourth dimension, which is time. And uh, now, and then there was a a rock band in the 70s called the Fifth Dimension. <laughs> up, up, and away. <laughs> My beautiful balloon. <laughs> they call themselves the Fifth Dimension. Well, believe it or not, there are five or six or seven. There, there could be hundreds of, of dimensions. I don't know. See, this is beyond, I'm, I'm just, I'm limited in my little old mind. We're all limited in what we're seeing and feeling and touching and tasting now, but, 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 
I'll tell you what, it's out there. One of these days, we're going to experience it in the presence of God. Wow. Well, Pastor, isn't heaven going to be kind of boring, just sitting around, playing a harp and on a cloud? Are you kidding me? If nothing else, we can spend eternity just exploring God's vast universe. Or could I say multiverses that God's created? I don't know. We'll find out. So, without getting too far out there, uh, let, me, let me remind you that, uh, that Satan was a uh, fallen angel, and one-third of the angels of heaven fell with him. They disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. Think about how foolish this is. They rebelled against God, the creator. In Isaiah 12, I believe it is, Satan said, I will make myself like the most high. I will cause my throne to rise above God's throne. I, I. There are five different times when he used the word I. Yeah, because of his, he, he just was full of pride and arrogance and he thought he could, he, caught it, he thought he could, he still thinks he can destroy God. He still thinks he can corrupt the, the human race. He's done a pretty good job to this point. He still thinks he's going to take us to hell with him and, he, and, and, and that's his end game. He's a thief who steals and kills and destroys and if you mess around with him, he will steal from you, he will destroy from you and he will, he will absolutely take you to hell with him. He will kill your dreams. He'll destroy your destiny. He, 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 he wants to take from you, my friend. He wants to destroy humans. That's all we have to understand. But he has the ability to appear as an angel of light. That's why it's interesting to me that so many false religions have in their history, uh, the founder of the religion had this being in white come to them with arms extended, this glowing being. And they just felt so peaceful when they were with this being. And this being spoke to them. This being handed them tablets with writing on them that they, nobody could read except when you put these special glasses on that the angel gave to you. And, 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 and so you got this, these, they call them angels, they're, 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 they're fallen angels and they have deceived mankind. They've deceived in false religions. They've deceived in, in demonology. They've deceived in the cults. They've deceived in the occult. And they're constantly deceiving and tricking and trying their best to get Satan, to get mankind to worship Satan. Listen, it doesn't ma matter what you worship just as long as you can get your worship off God. That's what Satan says. I'll let you worship anything you want to worship. Just don't worship God. I'm still rebellious. I still hate him. I, I still want to destroy his work. We all, those of us who study the Bible, know the end uh, of, the, of the, the story. And the end of the story is Satan spends eternity in the lake of fire where he burns and there's torment and it's never ending, and that's the end of the story for him. But in the meantime, here we are in this dispensation of grace. Here we are in the church age in which we're living, now over 2,000 years from the cross of Calvary. We don't know exactly when it's going to end. We know the rapture of the church is what brings this age to an end. We don't know when that's going to be. It could, the rapture could be this morning. It could be right now while I'm talking. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. I, I'm 63 years old. I've looked for the rapture my entire life. My dad taught and preached the Bible before me and he looked for the rapture the entire uh, entirety of his life. It didn't happen then, hasn't happened now, but let me tell you something. It's going to happen. There will come a day when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and you and I will go to be with the Lord Jesus just as sure as we're standing here because it's in the book of God. It is the truth of the gospel. God has a wonderful future for his church. He's going to take us away from this planet. He's going to destroy this planet and start over in a paradise restored. The garden restored. 
When Jesus was hanging on the cross, <clears throat> there were thieves on either side of him. We don't know. We think there were three crosses. We think there was two thieves in Jesus. There could have been dozens of people being crucified that, that day. But we do know of two thieves, and one was screaming and ranting and so forth and, and cursing. And um, the other on the other side was, was, was telling him to shut up and be quiet and respect who's here. And, 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 so, and so he said to Jesus, he said, he saw the sign up over his head, and the sign, the title is over his head, said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It said it in three languages. One was uh, Hebrew, one was Latin, one was Greek. One was the language of religion, one was the language of commerce, and one was the language of the people. And so in those three languages, anyone passing by uh, Calvary, because Calvary would have been on the edge of the city near a road. Rome's uh, method of uh, operation, their, their modus operandi, was to crucify men in such a place where everybody could see them. They didn't crucify you in the dark, in the corner, in the alley. They crucified you out front where everyone could see your naked body and the blood and the gore and they could hear your screams and they could, they could watch as your, as your body, ran, you ran out of air and you asphyxiated and you died and then they took you. They wanted everyone to see that. They wanted to, people to see what Rome does to criminals. It was a way that they had, they had enforced their oppression, the oppression of Rome. So Jesus at Calvary would have been close enough for people to have seen him, perhaps a roadway, and everyone who passed by would have looked and they would have seen the title up over his, his head and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And you'll remember that, that um, uh, the, the Roman, uh, the Jewish authorities, the, the priests and so forth, when they saw that title, they wanted it changed. They said to, to Pilate, they said, you can't put Jesus, King of the Jews. He's not the King of the Jews. You need to put on there, that he said he was the King of the Jews. Pilate said, leave it alone, what I've written, I've written. Now guess what? That title was the very first evangelist that ever preached the gospel because that title up over the head of Jesus on that, on that Roman cross that day declared that he was the king of the Jews. It declared it in three languages for anybody and everybody to read. As they passed by, they, they saw it, and the, the thief on his side, that's how he knew he was the king. So he said to him, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom, into your glory, when you're glorified, I believe that you are the king. And when you come into your kingdom, would you rem just remember me? He didn't have time to join a church. He didn't have time to be baptized in water. He never studied a, a Bible scripture, perhaps in his whole life. He just recognized the fact that he was a sinner and he recognized that Jesus Christ had the ability to save him from sin and he called upon the Lord. Come on, somebody, say amen. So Jesus said to him, you remember the words? He said, today you'll be with me. Where? In paradise. That word paradise is Eden. Ah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just some food for thought. Mm -hmm. All right, so Satan, as, uh, as a roaring lion, Peter said, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He said, he said, Resist him steadfast in the faith. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because he's walking around as a lion. He's not a lion, but he's walking around as a lion, roaring and seeking to devour you and to intimidate you and to scare you and to frighten you. And the worst thing a child of God can do is to be intimidated by the devil. Worst thing we can do is, is to run out from under 
the holy mountain of security and get out from under the shadow of the Almighty and to get away from God and to retreat and to backslide and get away from God's people and get out of church and run off in our backslidings because the devil's roared at us. He scared me. I, I'm scared. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get this disease. I'm going to get that disease. I'm going to die of cancer. I'm going to be broke all my life. I'm never going to have any relationships at work. Listen, that fear will torment you. Fear will literally drive you and, and, and it'll, it'll make you nuts, man. People living in fear cannot walk in faith. You can't illustrate faith. You can't uh, cause faith to happen in your life if you're constantly bound by fear. And that's what Satan wants to do. As a roaring lion, he wants to intimidate you and scare you and frighten you out of the presence of God. Listen, I say to you this morning, don't let him do it. You, you withstand him. You take authority over him. You put on the armor of God. You say, listen, I'm gonna, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not battling natural forces. I I am, however, battling the powers of hell. I'm battling principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, I'm going to put on the armor of God. This morning, my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This morning, I have the, gird, the girdle, the, breast, the, 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 the belt of truth around me. All my weapons are holding on. It's holding on my breastplate of armor, my, my, uh, uh, my armor, that, that my uh, shield uh, that is around, the, excuse me, the body armor that is around me. It's it's righteousness. My shield is faith. My sword is the word of God. I'm ready to do battle against the enemy. I've got the helmet of salvation in place. Listen, we're the children of God and he's given us weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pulling down strongholds in Jesus' name. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses four and five, when Paul said that we are given weapons of warfare, he said they're not carnal, they're not earthly, they're not uh, something that you would use in the natural. But then he contrasted it and said, but they are mighty through God. So evidently, mighty through God is spiritual. It's not earthly. It's spiritual. It's not carnal. It's supernatural. God's given you supernatural weapons to, for this purpose, to pull down strongholds. To bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We've got weapons. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, young people. You have a weapon against what happens in your mind. You don't have to listen and believe and follow every wind of doctrine and every lie of the devil and everything that comes against you. You've got authority over those things. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. So thoughts are going to come. Temptations are going to come. You know, even Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? The Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, our high priest, yet without sin. You remember in, in the wilderness, Jesus was tempted for 40 days, 40 nights. Satan himself came. He didn't just send one of his imps. He didn't just send one of his lower minions. He came himself to deal with the Son of God. He tempted Jesus with the same three forms of temptation you and I face every day. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. There you have it. You read about it in 1 John chapter 2. He lines it out for us. You see it in the Garden of Eden when Satan came and brought the first temptation to the woman. The lust of the, the, lust of the flesh, hmm, looks pretty good. I believe that'd be pretty good. Lust of the eyes, looks pretty good. Yeah, I like it. The pride of life, you, you'll be like God. You know, here's the thing. Did God really say you would, you would die? Did he really mean die, die? You know, I think God's just holding out on you, Eve. I think, here's the problem. I think God knows if you eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, 
You'll be just like him. You'll be a God. You know, you can be a God, Eve. I can? Yes, you can live forever. I can? Oh, yes, absolutely. You can, you can, you can be just like God. And that temptation is what we face today. When you follow this group, you can, you can be like God. When you follow this group, you can live forever. One particular uh, cult in our culture right now, in our society, that teaches if you, if you marry in their temple, <clears throat> follow their way of doing things, you'll have a celestial marriage and you'll have celestial sex the rest of your life, the rest of your eternity, and uh, you, you'll basically be uh, like a god. You will be a god. And uh, it's a very popular uh, teaching. I'm not even going to call it a religion because it's not. And it's extremely popular in our culture today. But if you follow it to its roots and study the writings of the founders, um, you'll discover that they've got uh, uh, Jesus and Lucifer as, uh, as, as brothers, some kind of a weird mystical celestial family of some sort. And, 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 and it's just, there's just a lot of weirdness. Let me tell you something. Anytime you see the lordship of Jesus Christ being denied, then you've got a cult. See, what makes the difference between true Christianity and, 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 and falsehood, whether it be a false religion or whatever, is what do you say about Jesus? Jesus said to his disciples, he said, uh, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're a prophet. Then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. The fisherman, Peter, where did he learn that? Where did, where did, he, where did he grasp that? You're the Christ, you're the anointed one, the Son of the living God. You're the one the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. You're the Messiah. You're this Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You did not learn that in synagogue, buddy. You didn't learn that from anybody, but my Father in heaven has revealed that as a divine revelation you've just received as to who I am. And upon the divine revelation of the fact that I am the Son of God, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm not going to build my church on you, Peter. Hello? There's another group that's built their church on Peter. Peter's the first pope. He's, he, and they go to that, that verse where, where Jesus said, Peter, you are a rock, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Did, they, did no one ever go back to the Greek and study the fact that those are two totally different words translated rock in English? I mean, one is, is Petra, Petra, uh, Petros, and it is male and gender. So when Jesus said to Peter, you are a rock, Peter, Simon, you're a rock, man. He was saying you're a piece of the rock. You're solid. You're, you're, this is good. But upon this rock, Petra, feminine and gender, totally different word. Petra is a large rock. It's an immovable rock. It's like the rock of Gibraltar. It's, it, it's huge, and it's, it's on, on this rock. What rock? You're talking about Peter? You're talking about the revelation of, of Jesus, the fact that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church on that revelation, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. This is what Jesus was saying to you and I. Come on, somebody, say a good amen. So you've got a lot of folks teaching a lot of stuff and going in a lot of different directions. That's why, listen, this is why we've got to know the, the book. This is why we've got to know what God says. This is why we've got to uh, apply ourselves 
make ourselves uh, faithful and, 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 and so forth to the word of God and to the preaching of God's word. This is why you need a pastor. This is why you need a local church. This is why people uh, absolutely, uh, um, when they negate the local church, they're hurting themselves spiritually. Doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. Doesn't mean you're not saved. But let me tell you something. There is something to be said for corporate worship. There's something to be said for lifting your voice and lifting your heart with others in faith and in prayer. And there's something to be said about the fellowship of the saints where iron sharpens iron and we encourage one another. There's something to be said about the preaching of God's word under a live anointing. Yes, I'm thankful you're, you're able to watch us on this video several times during the week and share it with a friend. But I want to tell you, it's not like being in the house. When you're in the house, God God does supernatural, special things in your life. Amen. Well, I'm talking about a lot of things in addition to angels, so let's try to get back to the angels here with the time we have left. Okay, so the, the number one revelation I wanted you to know is that angels are mentioned in Scripture numerous times, not just one or two, but 196 times. Number two, they're mentioned in 34 books of the Bible from uh, Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible uh, 34 of the 66 books. And finally, the third thing I want you to see is there are numerous references to angels by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is declared to be the creator of all things, which includes angelic beings. The apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, for by him, Jesus, all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, that would be a reference to angels, all things have been created by him and for him. Can you say amen and amen and amen? Now our culture, our culture takes angels very seriously. The latest poll that I found says that 77% of Americans um, believe in the existence of angels. We take it seriously, although not necessarily accurately. There are movies by the score that portray angels. Uh, for instance, uh, the classic 1946. You remember It's a Wonderful Life? Um, there's a movie a few years ago uh, highlighting a dark angel called Fallen. There are TV shows about angels and demons and... Uh, it's just the supernatural has just become uh, so um, prevalent in our culture. The internet is full with books, uh, filled with books on angels and articles and, and blog posts. Many people claiming to have encounters with angels. Um, modern society, I believe men and women are searching for some spiritual, supernatural meaning. And if angels can provide it, then angels it will be. We've got angels, um, people turning into angels when they die. I'll just say to you that's not biblical. It's not biblical. Angels don't become, excuse me, people don't become angels when they die. People are people. We are a triune being with a body, a spirit, and a soul. As I've already tried to point out to you, an angel is a totally different uh, species, Okay. Created beings, totally different, higher, more powerful, more intellectual uh, than we. Um, and when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. If we're Christians, our spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Our body dies, and when it dies, it grows back to the ground. We put it in the grave, 
and it decays. Or we, um, we um, um, yes, thank you very much. What's the word when you burn a body? Cremate, thank you. <laughs> Sounds much better than burn a body, doesn't it? But creation takes the body, cremation, excuse me, cremation takes the body right back to the, the dust, the powder that it came from. That's the body. Where's the spirit? It's with Jesus, the spirit and the soul. According, from what I can see biblically, the spirit and the soul, that would be the, the eternal part of man and the uh, personality, the, the intellect, the, the feelings, the emotions of man, they're, they're connected, they're, they're intertwined, they're inseparable. They are distinguishable, but they are inseparable, and so I believe that the spirit and the soul go to be with the Lord while the body goes back to the ground. Then when... Uh, when the moment of the, re of the first resurrection occurs on the day of the rapture, same time of the rapture, the dead in Christ rise first. Well, what do you mean they rise first? I mean that dead body that was cremated or it's decayed or in whatever stage of decay or has been drowned in the sea or has blown up in an, in a, an explosion, that body is reformed into a glorified body the mortal takes on immortality, the perishable becomes imperishable, and we shall be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The twinkling of an eye is, um, I read one time, it's the, the length of the time it takes your brain to register what you just saw. For instance, let me give you a color, okay? I want everyone to look at these panels. Look at the blues, everybody see the blue? Okay, the length of time it took your brain to register blue, that was a twinkling of an eye. <laughs> I mean, just like that. We're changed. We're changed. So the, the body doesn't stay in the ground forever uh, at the resurrection. Did you know when Jesus rose from the dead, there were bodies all over the place that rose from the dead? Did you know that? When, when, um, when Lazarus was uh, in the, the grave and Jesus was going to raise him from the dead, out of the out of the grave, he called his name and he said, Lazarus, come forth. I really believe that had he just said, come forth, there would have been dead bodies all over. But then the sound of his voice, that would have risen. But he specified he wanted just that one, Lazarus. So God in his incredibly infinite power and majesty, great enough to create all that we see and all that we cannot see, He's very, very capable of bringing those bodies back into a glorified state. And um, then the Bible says that we shall be reunited with our spirits. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, so we don't turn into angels. There's no place in the Bible. There's no place in, in eschatology. There's no place that I've found anywhere that we grow angel wings when we die and start watching over people here on this planet. That sounds poetic and romantic and wonderful, but it's, it's not true. It's not biblical. So you've got to make a decision. Am I going to live by the Bible or am I going to live by something that I've always just thought and dreamed and heard in a song because it's so pretty about people growing angel wings and, and watching over their loved ones. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to be facetious or, or, or snarky about that. I'm not trying to make light of anyone who may have believed that. You may believe that. You may believe that to be true. Um, and I don't I hate to kick your sacred cow, but it's not true. And so there you go. So angels, uh, 
then angels, it's, 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 okay for, for, it's okay for our culture to be infatuated with angels because in my opinion, that's a lot better than, than zombies and demons and stuff. Uh, it's a lot more cheerful anyway. So, but they're not to be worshiped, okay? They're not to be prayed to. They're always seen in scripture carrying out the will of God and they are servants of God. Um, Psalm 91 and verse 11 uh, tells us that God gives his angels charge. Everybody say charge. He will command, he will charge his angels, okay, concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Isn't that nice to know? Hallelujah. Matthew 18, when Jesus was talking about children and so forth, in verse 10, he said, he said we should, uh, you should be careful to never harm one of these little ones because their angels are always uh, watching the face of the, they're always viewing the face of the Father. They're angels. Now, some folks have said that's a guardian angel. That's like every child has an angel watching over them. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily what that verse says. I do believe that what that verse says is there are angels who watch over us and they are always, their face is always watching the Father. And so they're always in God's presence, these angels, yet somehow they can uh, watch over children and over us. And so if you want to claim them as a guardian angel, I don't think there's anything scripturally wrong with that. I don't think that you're in error uh, by saying, I've got one and you've got one and my children each have one. I think, you know, that's okay. I just don't know that the Bible really, really necessarily teaches that. But Psalm 91, he does command his angels to, give, to guard us. Uh, to, to watch guard over us. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11 <clears throat> gives us a similar uh, scripture. When Jesus uh, was being tempted of the, the enemy, uh, the devil in the, the wilderness, after 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says, then the devil left him because each of those temptations, <laughs> I feel like I need to preach about three hours this morning. <laughs> each of these temptations, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, with each of those Jesus countered the devil's temptation with the word of God. Every time. He said, Satan, it's written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, Satan wanted to, 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 to say, you know, you're entitled to this food. I mean, this food's good. You need some bread. You're hungry. You've been here 40 days, 40 nights. What about, you know, that, that, would, be, that would really appeal to his flesh. What about this one? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Just look out there. Just look. And he actually made the kingdoms of the world somehow appear to Jesus. And Jesus could see them. The lust of his eyes was, was the temptation. The pride of life was the temptation. Actually, the pride of life was to jump off the temple. That was the pride of life temptation. But, but he, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, each time Jesus countered it with the word of God, he said, Satan, it's written, it's written, it's written. So when he finished, the devil left him and angels came and attended him. They ministered to Jesus, brought him food, brought him something to drink. Uh, I don't know what all, but they ministered to him. They took care of his needs. Because why? Because they are servants of God. They are described by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1.14 as ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. I've not only uh, inherited been given salvation, I am being given salvation. It's twofold. I was born again when I was just a little guy, six, seven years old. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Little bitty guy. 
I was born again. I was given salvation. It's a free and wonderful gift. But I am being given salvation. There's this process that's happening in me. And every day I'm being sanctified. I'm being changed from glory to glory. It's changing me. I'm, I'm becoming more, hopefully, I'm becoming more and more like the image of Jesus. And then there will come a day when I will be, I will be saved, my body will be saved, and that I will be glorified. So I'm justified, I am sanctified, and I will be glorified. There's this, this process that's happening in salvation, and I am an heir of salvation. You, as a child of God, are an heir of salvation. You ought to be shouting right now, man. I mean, that ought to make everybody dance. You don't have to dance, but it ought to make us dance. Heirs of salvation and angels are ministering spirits sent to render service for those who are to inherit salvation. So, due to the inspired character of inerrant scripture, we can trust completely with the Bible's teaching on angels. All right, so I've got a lot more to talk about this morning, but my time is gone. So, I want to just ask you to stand in this building, and we're going to bring the message to a close uh, by, by looking again at Psalm 91. Can we just read that whole um, chapter? Would that be too hard to do uh, this morning? Uh, can you guys bring that up for us so everyone can see it on the screen? If not, just take your Bible uh, and, and go with me to the 91st division of Psalm, and let's read together um, this beautiful, beautiful passage. <clears throat> there it is on the screen for you in the NIV. Okay, let's read it. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Come on, somebody, claim that one this morning. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. You will not fear that plague. A thousand may fall at your side 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Hallelujah. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. I will, I will, or if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and if you make the most high your dwelling, here's what will happen. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near you, near your tent, your place of dwelling. He will command his angels. There's that 11th verse. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Would you just take a moment, just close your eyes. If you're comfortable, just lift your hands toward heaven. And I wanna, I wanna read that 11th verse again before we go into the 12th verse. Listen to the words of 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verse 12, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Your word is inerrant. Your word is infallible. 
We trust the character of your word. We trust the nature of your word. Your word brings life. Your word brings definition. Your word speaks of our destiny. It speaks of our salvation. It speaks of, uh, of, of heaven to us. It speaks of hell. It warns of hell. Your word is alive and your word is powerful. It is sharp as a two-edged sword. And today, Lord, we receive your word concerning angelic beings and their work in the earth and their work around the earth, their work in the heavens. Thank you, Lord, for these incredible celestial beings that crisscross through the heavens into our dimension from time to time, sometimes taking on the form of men, uh, sometimes appearing uh, in ways that we don't even understand as we read that some have entertained angels unaware. So we should be, we should be hospitable to strangers. Lord, may we be open and receptive to your work in our lives. May we not, not disagree, not, not be at odds with you and what you're wanting to do. May we not kick against the, 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 the guidance and direction of your spirit. May we lovingly yield to you as angels protect us and as angels guard us and as angels minister to us or the heirs of salvation. Father, send angels into the lives of, the, of my friends today and this week. Whether we see them in the natural or not, that doesn't matter. We, we understand that they're there. We understand that they're working. We don't worship them and reverence them. We worship you, Jesus. We reverence you. But we recognize you've chosen to send these incredible soldiers, this mighty army, to do warfare for us, to bring healing and life and blessing and abundance, even to carry us into the presence of God when we die. Thank you for all that these angels do. Thank you, Father, for great love and mercy. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, Lord. Sing that song, Jerry. You lead us in that. Singing. Your name 
blessing of the day. This is a, this is a uh, ironic blessing from the book of Numbers. It's for the priesthood. We've adapted it uh, for believers. It's an Old Testament blessing. I've got a New Testament blessing I want to share with you one of these days too, but here it is. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you, giving you His peace. May angels go before you and may goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Be healed today in Jesus' name. Behold. 